some people out here that there's a good chance you might have needed that. To be able to say the words, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Father, I think that you are not any more faithful or less faithful based on the situations we go through. And even sometimes, Father, when we trip and fall and run against the wall, that you are still faithful. I thank you that you are still God, that you have not adjusted on your throne based on our faithfulness. And so many times, Father, that I see that you're even faithful when we mess up, that, that you're, you're good to us when we don't deserve it. There's a lot of times it doesn't make sense. Hey, I'll tell you this. I was speaking with someone this week. And I said, there's a part of the story that I didn't really get to share from last week. That I didn't get to talk about. But that it would probably take a little bit to unpack. But do you know what's crazy about the whole Esther story and the Mordecai story? According to Jewish tradition and law, Esther shouldn't have married the king in the first place. He was a Gentile, but yet, but God was still faithful. And there's so many times in our lives where we're like, I don't get how God could be faithful to me. You don't know what I've done. God has been faithful so many times. Listen, there's a lot of people that deserve probably to be pastor more than I do on this stage. But yet God's still faithful. There's probably a thousand men out there that that have better qualifications to be a pastor here at this church or to even, man, just to be in positions like this. But yet he's still faithful and allows me to stand up here because his faithfulness is bigger than my past mistakes. So some of you sit there and say, Pastor Chris, man, there's probably some men that it could have treated my wife better over the years. Yep, but his grace is bigger than your mistakes and he can be faithful in the midst of it. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Amen? You guys ready to hear the word this morning? You guys ready to get in the word this morning? Woo! If the wind starts blowing and you hear it in the mic, I need you to let me know and I'm going to use my, my neck rubbing towel. I got to have a neck rubbing towel because it's hot out here. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you're enjoying your AC. Hallelujah. Bless it. Send it my way. Yeah, we got, he's got a little, little umbrella. That has got to be Maria's. If that is, is that Maria's? It's got llamas on it. Okay. <laughs> Maria and her llamas. All right. I need to find out something real fast. Who in here has ever played sports before? You've played some kind of sport. Where are you at? Anybody? Okay. Beep, 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 beep. Um, who in here knows what the film room and going over film is for? Anybody? You know those. You're watching film. You ever watch games of other teams? You ever watch how they play? But, but not just sports players. We got anybody in here that likes to video game? Any video gamers out here? We might have a few. We have a few hawks. Do you even know that when you go against somebody, you need to know how they play? If you're a business person and you're trying to beat someone for a bid, you need to know what kind of bid they're making. Does anybody know what it's like to study your opponent? Anybody ever do any fighting? Anybody ever do any boxing, any kickboxing? You, you've got to know who you're fighting. It's important to know who you're fighting because you need to know how they fight. 
if you are in any kind of protection, if well, if you are in the, anybody ever been in the military, any military people out here that you're in the military or been in the military in your life, almost all your training is preparing to how the enemy fights. And so many times we have this idea that we know that we're supposed to fight, but we forget that we need to know who we fight. And we've got to talk about that. Now, I'll give you guys a little bit, little bit of understanding about me. Does anybody else here like crime dramas? You like to study how like crime scene investigation, criminal minds. Criminal Minds is my new show. I'm still in season one, so if you ruin it for me, I'm gonna destroy you. But listen, I love watching Criminal Minds because Chelsea and I, through the whole show, are trying to figure out who did it, right? And I love to get into why they did it, what, what is going on with this person, right? I love to decide and decipher what's going on, who did it, what's the angle, and, and we love it when we get it right. Well. If you are anything of ever gone to church, you understand that we have an adversary. We have an adversary against our lives. The Bible is very clear with it. Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, and against powers and rulers of darkness of the age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. 2 Corinthians says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So I'm not only seeing that he wants to destroy me, I'm also seeing that he'll come at me in ways that I don't expect. That sometimes he'll attack me from people that seem to be righteous. That sometimes he'll find ways to hurt me with people that are claiming they're Christians. Sometimes he'll come up against me with people that have my best intentions at heart. So we see that we have an enemy. So what we're going to do this morning, just because I enjoy it, we're going to do a little crime scene investigation and, and a little criminal profiling of the enemy. We're going to come up and show you because some of you just started serving Christ and didn't know there's an enemy seeking who he may devour. Some of you are trying to parent a family not knowing there's an enemy that would love to see it destroyed. There's people out there that you long to live a pure life not knowing there's an adversary who longs to devour you. And we're going to talk about that this morning. So I'm going to give you a few things that I've seen. Oh, John 8, 44 gives a perfect verse too. Listen, it says, He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So as we're sitting here, one of my favorite parts of the show of Criminal Minds is they sit in a room and they give their character of the guy that they're looking for. And the guy explains it to everybody. This is who you're looking for. So Christians, as your pastor, I'm here to tell you there is someone you need to look for and someone you need to watch for. And I'm going to give you some of his character traits. And you might see some of his character traits alive around you that you need to kill. So the first character trait I want to teach you, because at the end we're going to go through a story and we're going to see if we can find those character traits. So the first thing. A very big misconception thing is, well, the devil made me think that. No, he did not. Let's go ahead and kill this thought that the devil can plant 
thoughts in your mind. But the devil can give life to thoughts you choose not to kill. We get this idea that the devil can plant thoughts in our mind, but he cannot. But he can water thoughts that you choose not to kill. In Mark 7, 20-23, says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For it is within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slender, arrogance, and folly. And then these evils come from inside and defile a person. So we've got to be careful that we have these. And, and, and don't be shocked when crazy thoughts come up. Sometimes people say, Pastor Chris, if you could only hear the random thoughts that come out of, out of a mind. You have a mind that is not perfect and needs to be renewed. And crazy thoughts will come up. But the enemy will come for the ones you choose not to kill. And he will water them. See, sometimes what you'll do is you'll sit there with your wife and you'll have an argument like most couples do and a random thought will come up. You know, it'd just be easier being single. And your flesh will think that. And if you don't kill that, the enemy will go, oh yeah, think about that. You could literally play video games all day and she wouldn't nag one bit. Think about that. You could come home. And if you want to clean the house, you clean the house. And if you don't, well, gosh darn it, no one's going to make you. And if you want to put your socks on the floor, you can put your socks on the floor. And then all of a sudden, a thought you should have killed will begin to grow. And it'll begin to grow. And the enemy will come up and say, man, it would be easier. Wives, the enemy will come up to you and say, man, there's better men out there that will love you better. And you'll begin to think these crazy thoughts and then you'll come up in water and begin to say, oh yeah. And then you'll begin to start watching Facebook for wives that are treated better and begin to compare your husband to a man you've never met. Wife to women that are, ooh, listen. I had a guy one time, this is a tangent, and he goes, you know, Pastor Chris, it's just hard for me because I see these girls at work that look this certain way. And then my wife, she's had a few kids. And I said, ooh, boy, I'm glad you came to me and didn't go to your wife. Because you wouldn't be living today there, bud. There's wisdom. And I told him, I said, you know what that girl hasn't done? He said, yeah, she's got stretch marks. I said, yep. Do you know what those stretch marks say? willing to sacrifice her body to bring life into this world for nine months and give herself up for a child to be born and she did it for you four times yeah yeah we had to carry the baby mentally and physically and emotionally but oh she had to carry it physically and then she had to deal with this onslaught of hormones and then she had to deal with you in the midst of it acting like a baby and you need to calm down and I said, the problem is, is this, you're comparing your wife to a woman that has not done that sacrifice of love yet. You're comparing your wife to a woman that you haven't lived with long enough to realize she's crazy too. Everybody's not crazy until you live with them. See, that's one of the reasons why it says you, you know, that, that, that we say in New Life, you don't need to be living with each other before you get married because then you'll realize you're crazy and she'll realize you're crazy 
and you'll just leave it. Not knowing you're stuck when you get married. You're stuck with that crazy person. My wife is looking at me amening. So the first thing we're going to notice is that he gives water and life to thoughts we chose not to kill. The second thing I want you to notice about your enemy. He always wants you to focus on what you do not get other than what you have. He'll always tempt you with what you're not receiving. He'll always tempt you with the things you, that, that you're not getting out of life and make you miss the very things you have. He'll, he'll make you tempt and want to drink that bottle again, not knowing the peace you've been living with without it for so long. He'll, he'll begin to make you miss those old religious days where church was the same every Sunday and you knew what you were going to get. And Pastor Chris is crazy sometimes and we never know what's going to happen. And he'll make you miss those old things. He'll make you want to go back to those destructive relationships because you knew what it was going and it was hard to trust a godly man in your life. He'll make you miss those old things. He'll make you miss and see those things. Let me tell you, I promise you, you've watched other people live and have fun in their sin season and say, man, what am I missing? What am I missing? And the enemy will make you focus on everything you're not getting and make you miss all the blessings that are around you. Do you know what one thing I could not stand for a long time that my pastor used to tell me? He said, man, I never want to go back to that lifestyle. Man, I'm having fun. I was like, how are you having fun? You don't get to go to the club. You don't get to listen to the good music. You don't get to go to the, you, you don't get to be in the, those fun relationships. And he said, you know what, Chris? All of those things are great until you're in those things and you realize there's really not that much to them. He says all those things that look really fun and all those kind of things. I pro oh, Can we just go here this morning? Let's just go there. Honk your horn if you dreamed about having all these parties and now you've lived on the other side of it and you realized it wasn't really as fun as everybody talked about and it wasn't as good and all of a sudden, all those, listen, all these things. I asked Presley, I said, hey babe, every girl your age is wanting to get famous on TikTok right now. And she said, yep. I said, what if you found a video of your mom when she was younger dancing and wearing what those girls were dancing? She goes, ugh. That's embarrassing. I said, every one of those girls is going to hope their kids don't find the, the videos of them selling themselves on an app. And they're going to hope that they don't find it. I, I, and I can promise you this. I've lived the parties. I've done those things. And if you have too, you'll realize it's short-lived fun and it gets old really quick. It gets old really quick. Third thing. When tempting, he will only tempt you with what you will gain and not what you will lose. Hebrews 11.25 Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. Let me explain to you. Sin is fun for a season. Sin is fun for a season. It's not the fun of the drink that you drank. It's the going through court and going through the DUI cases and getting your license revoked is the not the fun part that you don't think of those times when the bottle's whispering your name. It's the... My phone's ringing. It's not Jesus, so we're going to hang up. So the enemy wants to come and tempt you, but he won't show you the full story. See, the enemy came and showed me what it was and... 
of, of, of having sex outside of marriage when I was in high school, and not only was that fun, didn't show me the, the, the stress that it was going to put on my marriage of having a child out of wedlock. Let me be extremely clear. I wouldn't trade my son for the world, but I don't want him to go through what me and his mom had to go through. I don't want my children to make the same mistakes I did. But the enemy always comes up and shows you what it is in that fun little bit, just the flavoring at the beginning, but never shows you the cost that comes on the other side. Anybody ever here got a credit card because they said you can just swipe it how you want and all of a sudden those credit card payments came and then that interest came and all those things came and all of a sudden you're sitting there Paying on something you don't even remember what you spent it on. Not even knowing where all this debt came from. And going, man, maybe it wasn't worth that much. So next up, hmm, number four, characteristic of our enemy. He loves to whitewash our sin while darkening others so we don't feel so bad. He'll whitewash, oh, yours is not that bad, but hey, at least you're not like, them. Hey, listen, you know how you grew up? You grew up abused. You grew up neglected. Your parents were too strict. You had this too much. Listen, it's okay to have a little bit of fun. At least you're not like them. Hey, at least you're not that bad. That's like saying, well, at least you're not that dead. You're just kind of dead, right? You just got a stab wound in your side and bleeding out. But at least you're not dead, dead. No, 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 no. That's the problem any enemy wants to come with is he wants you to flirt with something knowing that if you flirt with it enough, you'll start sliding down a hill you can't stop. And if you just compare it to other people, and what we'll do is we'll sit there and say, oh, Lord, I thank you I'm not that bad. But that's the problem. That bad still has bad in the sentence. Next up, verse 5. When the verse, uh, section five, it says, it says the enemy seeks who he may devour. I've preached about this before. Do you know the, the word devour actually means to slurp? Devour actually means to slurp. It actually means to slowly pull every bit of life out of you. See, it's not the things that the enemy wants to just devour you now and just destroy you now. We think the enemy's going to come in with a baseball bat to just break our marriage. No, you know what he'll do, Ken? He'll slowly just start to pull away your joy. He'll slowly begin to just pull away your joy. He'll slowly begin to take it away and slowly try to inject fear. Worry is not something that affects you just one day. Worry is something that gnaws on you. Unforgiveness is not something that I just get affected today. Not forgiving somebody is something that gnaws on me and just slowly destroys me and slowly slurps the life out of my marriage and slowly slurps out the life out of my family. And see, that's the thing we're looking for. We're waiting for the intruder, just, just waiting to destroy everything when the truth is he's on the back side just slowly pulling it out so that you won't realize it's low. Everybody's heard the example about the, the frog in the pan. It's not the, the high heat, it's the slow heat. Doubt, temptation, fear, worry, anger, unforgiveness. If you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3. So we have a little bit of a better understanding of how the enemy is going to attack you. 
So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at a case study and we're going to see how he attacks. And we're going to break down this story, a story you've seen quite a bit, but we're going to read it now with the understanding that we have an enemy that longs to destroy us, slurp life from us, see us destroyed. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the fruit of the garden? Has God said that you shall not eat of every fruit? So stop right there. Did he call God a liar? No. He just wanted to cause doubt. He just wanted to cause doubt. He just wanted to slide up in and say, did God really say that you should not eat of the fruit? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it. Now one thing that stuck out to me, what does it next say? Nor shall you touch it. Did anybody realize we always focus about the eating of it, but God said, I don't even want you to get close enough to touch it. We always think about Eve and Adam eating the fruit, but it was also a sin, the fact that they touched it. Got some bikers waving by. See, God understood it's not just the act of it. It's getting close enough and proximity enough that temptation would arise. See, the enemy wants to come up and say, hey, surely you won't eat because he wants you to forget about the touching part. He wants you to forget about the proximity part. That's why we tell you, you need to be careful who you hang around with because whatever they're doing, I promise you, you stay around it long enough and you're going to do it. Get around a negative person long enough and guess what? You're going to be negative. Get around an unforgiving person long enough and you're going to get unforgiving. Get around the wrong relationships long enough and you're going to get that way. I'm here to tell you this morning. See, it's not just those that eat it. It's those that get close enough to touch it. That's why he said whoever eats it and touches it. Hmm. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Stop. So the woman is standing on what God says, but she's having a conversation with the enemy. And he says, did God really say you won't really die? Listen, you can have a little bit of fun with this sin. It's not going to be really that bad. You can watch this movie. It's not going to be that bad. You, you couldn't play with these things. It's not going to be that bad. And let's go here with doubt. I wonder if your husband really has changed. I wonder if your kids really meant it. I wonder if you're really free. Anybody ever come up to you and say, you ain't really free. You're just acting it. You ain't really saved. And he's bringing a lie, but you know what he'll do? He'll start to make you ask, am I? Wait, hold on. I, I know. Man, I remember what God did in my life. I remember what happened at the altar. I remember what it was. What, uh, but do you really remember? 
And see, if he can begin to have that doubt, instead of watering faith, we'll begin to water fear and we'll begin to water doubt and we'll begin to realize why instead of being in the shadow of the Almighty, we're blistering under the hot sun of doubt and wondering why our moisture is beginning to begin to slowly work out. As instead of leaning under the shadow of his wings and knowing that he will always protect us, we begin to stand out in doubt and wonder, is it really that bad? Will we really ever change? Will I really ever be healed from what was done to me? Doubt will come in. And doubt will destroy you. But the second thing, what did he say? He says, surely you won't die. It's because he comes up with half-truths. The thing that you must understand is this. The doubt that he brought in with the half-truth, he says, surely you won't die. You know why? Because most of the time we look at immediate prices of our sin, not knowing the long-lasting cost that it's going to bring. See, what happens is we have these, uh, we're just looking at the immediate things, just the, the price that it's going to cost on the first day, not knowing the price that it's going to cost 50 days from now. See, I've got to watch out as a father, the life that I choose to live in front of my children, because I need to realize the anger and the unforgiveness and the bitterness and the worry and the hate that I uh, allow in my life now is sowing seeds that will affect my grandchildren. And the enemy just says, hey, it's not going to bother your kids that bad. They really don't know you're that drunk. They really don't know you're that bad. They don't really, listen, it's, it's okay. Talk about your wife. She's really that bad. It'll show your kids not to be like her. Not knowing the way you talk to your wife and your husband is sowing seeds into future generations of disrespect instead of saying about nothing going on in my house. I will speak life to my wife even when I don't feel it. And she will speak life to me. But the half truth comes up and go, it's just words. It's not that bad. Because the enemy's not in it just for one fight with my wife, Laura. You know who the enemy's in it? He's in for my grandkids. He's in for my kids. He's in for my life. If I think it's just this one battle that the issue is, I'm missing the fight because he's in the long term wanting to destroy my family name. Instead of saying, well, my great grandpa was a pastor and my grandpa was a business leader and they've always loved their wives and they've stayed faithful. They can be the ones that say, I guess we've got to break it. Either I'm going to break the bad family lines in my family or I'm going to hope my kids have the guts to do it. Either I'm going to have the prayer life and the anointing life and the, and the unction of the Holy Spirit to break off old ties that the enemy's been trying to destroy me. Or I'm just going to have to hope my grandkids redeem my family name. I don't want that. So we see the enemy comes in. Verse 5. For God knows in that day you will eat and your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Stop. Quit thinking the enemy only wants to bring you things that look bad to everybody. Sometimes we got to understand the enemy will use extreme success. We always think it's poverty that he's going to try to get us with. No, he may let you you may be extremely wealthy. Because that wealth will be like a stone around your neck sometimes that pulls you down. Sometimes we've got to stop thinking always that because we're in America, we're God's favorite children and we need to have an open eye and understanding that this, sometimes we can get drunk so much on our own freedom, we can forget the fact we follow a different kingdom and life is not always promised to live how we live it. 
We can get so blessed on our blessed assurance and we get inconvenienced by feed a kid by 15 seconds a day, 15 cents a day. And we get irritated at those commercials, not knowing if you go out of this country, you'll begin to realize not everybody's as blessed as us. Not everybody has as much as us. And I want to say this. I get how hard this, this has been financially for us. I get it. I get it. I get it. With your businesses, I get it. But here's a little perspective. There's people that are watching right now. They grew up in a different country. That hunger was a fact that they knew. It wasn't an inconvenience based on the stock market. And we sometimes have got to get out of our mind and realize other people have lived like this forever. This is all they've known. This is the only thing they've known. And sometimes what we can do is we can get so blessed and forget that people around this world are going hungry and people are dying of hunger and people are dying of sickness. That this is a culture that they live in. This is not an inconvenience at the beginning of a year. And us as the body of Christ has got to realize that and begin to see that it is our job to be the answer that provides and be the hands of feet in Jesus in such a hard time, not just when things look bad. Next up. Verse 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise. Stop. I wonder how long she was looking at that tree. I wonder how long she was looking at that tree. And listen, I don't know how long this was. It doesn't tell us. I wonder if she said, no, devil, I can't do this. But every day she looked at that tree. Every day she started walking a little closer to that tree. Every day she got a little bit closer. And some days she would just walk up close to it. And some days she'd walk back. Some days she would just get close enough. I think maybe someday she may even picked it up and looked at it and said, no, I can't. Temptation is always in the long game. It's not the very thing of just that's going to tempt you one day. That's why the Bible says if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Whatever you've got to do, there is an idea. Mm, Father, help me preach this. It would be better for us to lose every liberty we have living in the country and to live a life of holiness. It would be better for us to lose our cell phones and lose our TVs and lose all these things that we think that we have so dear to us and live a life of holiness because we need to begin to realize the price that Jesus paid for our, for our lives and the mistakes that we've made in our sin. The price that he's paid for us, holiness needs to be something that we run towards. And if that means that we've got to change the very things, that means if some of us have got to go to flip phones, that if means some of us have got to get change the route we go to work so we don't drive by that liquor store. If that means some of us need to get rid of social media from all those old people you used to talk to. If some of us need to change our phone number. If some of us need to change the movies that we watch and break the DVDs if you still have those things. If that means that you've got to delete your mute, whatever you've got to do, I would much rather be bored in holiness. than entertained in unrighteousness. I would much rather be bored in holiness than busy in an ungodly relationship. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. 
And the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord. God among the trees in the garden. See, it's not always just about you falling that the enemy's interested in. It's about removing you from your source of rescue. It's not just about the sin he's trying to get you to. He's trying to pull you from the presence of the Father. Have you ever noticed when you were living how you shouldn't be, church service became a little less priority? Pastor Pamela, you tell me if I'm right or not. There's been people that we knew that sat on the front row that took notes every Sunday. And then they began to sit farther back. I'm not saying if you sit on the back row, you're not saved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you sit on the front row and then a month later you're sitting on the back row with sunglasses and you are an hour late to service, something might be showing a little bit. And what will happen is this, is if I can remove you from your source of rescue, I will make you de de desperate to need the food that I bring you. If I can make you slowly pull away from your rescue, the source of your life will be what the enemy brings you. And you'll live off of that. You'll live off of that small satisfaction. It's kind of like salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you, you get. Well, if all of a sudden you pull your way for, uh, your, yourself away from the shore, because the enemy will say, oh, Pastor Chris knows what you're doing. Oh, you don't want him to find out. Oh, if he just finds out the type of person you are. I had somebody very close to my life lately. And they fell. They messed up. Jason, they messed up. Do you know the first place they came? To my driveway. They came to my driveway. And Ken, they came to my driveway and said, Pastor Chris, we got to talk. And I said, what's going on? They said, I messed up. And Ken, did, did, did I kick him off my driveway and sit, get around here? Did I say you need to go find another church? I said, no, come in closer. We're going to walk together. And you know what the wisdom that they did, Ken? Instead of letting fear and worry and doubt fill that mold, and then I'm wondering why things are different. Why don't they want to talk anymore? Why are they starting to put distance? Why are they acting different? What's the issue? And instead of... They killed that by bringing shame to their shame, by exposing it to the light and saying, here's what it is. All of a sudden, they began to get to raise up and stand up faster than that their sin would ever have let them stand up because they brought shame to it and brought light to it. I wonder how Genesis would have looked different instead of them hiding in the bushes. They would have ran out and fell at the father's feet and said, we ate of the fruit. We messed up. I can't hide, I can't hide, I can't hide. Because that's what the enemy will do. Because he knows if he can make you hide, he can get you hung on something else. If he can make you hide in the shadow of worry, then he'll get you hid in the, in the abuse and make you drink of, the, uh, of addiction and worry and make you think, man, you were happier when you were drinking. You were happier when you were partying. You were happier than this. And he'll want to destroy you. Begin to bring to light the very things the enemy's trying to destroy you in the darkness. But here's the best part about it. 
I look at the story of the prodigal son who's sitting eating slop out of a bucket. He ruined all of his father's riches. All of his inheritance he blew away and he's eating nasty. And he had the long walk back to his father's house. And daddy's on the porch. We've had those phone calls before. Papa, can we come home? Madre, can we come home? And we say, porch lights on. Come on home. But you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't know what you've done. But I know what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And there's forgiveness for all of your sins. But you don't know how I've messed up. And I've messed up 50th time. I know, but his grace is bigger. And I see that, that what could have happened, the son walks down the road. And, and all of a sudden, the father runs down and puts the slippers on him and the ring on him and the, co the cloak on him. And, and, and kills a fattened calf. And they have a celebration because the son came back home. What the enemy tried to destroy, I'm here to tell you, the father has already provided provision upon the cross for your feast when you come back home. The father's already made a table and waiting for you to come back home. But daddy, I'm dirty. But daddy, I've messed up. But daddy, I smell like my old day. Son, come take a bath in my grace. Come get clothed in my righteousness. Come smell like my mercy. Because, but, but they're going to remind me of who I used to be. Yep, but guess what? Now you look like me. Now you sound like me. Now you smell like me. And they're going to say, what happened to you? And you say, I went back home to daddy. You need to begin to realize the enemy wants to destroy you and kill you and despise the very nature of who you are because you are a son of God. And I, I can, oof, listen, do you realize it's not about you in the first place? Do you realize the attacks are actually not about you? Can I burst your bubble that you're not that important? It's not about destroying you. It's because of who you stand for. God made you in his image. The, the, the devil cannot touch God, but he can definitely try to mess with the image of God. He cannot mess with God, cannot touch his anointing. He's trying to make God look bad. So when he messes with his children. But he never accounted for the fact that Jesus loved you so much he would die upon the cross for you. So you need to begin to start seeing the very ways that the enemy is going in and attacking your family. You need to start going through and look at your life like a CSI detective or a crime scene investigator and say, all right, enemy, where have you been slipping in doubt? Where have you been slipping in unforgiveness? Where have you been slipping in anger? Where have you been slipping in worry? Where have you been working? And then you need to cut it off. Where have you been doing it? Where have you been doing it? And here's what I'm going to finish with. Laura, you ready? Did you feel that? Do you know what that happened now? It was a new second. And do you know what happened with a new second? That means I don't care what you pulled into this parking lot with, there is grace for you to pull out with. That means you can say, Pastor Chris, if you could smell my car, you would understand what I've been dealing with. If you knew my life, if you could live in my unforgiveness, and you don't know what I pulled up in, and the devil has been eating my lunch, I'm here to tell you, there's no perfect day. There is no Monday spiritually to start your diet. Oh, we'll start Monday. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You don't have to wait. You start now. You go home and be the father that you were called to be. You go be the mother you were called to be. You go be the child of God you were called to be. And you know what you need to do? What movie is it? 
where that girl goes through her house and starts kicking the devil's butt out of her house? War room, if you need to go in your house and put on some worship music and begin to pray over your house and pray over destiny, you need to do it. Because guess what? You have a new second to live it right now. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you, Father, that even though we have an enemy that seeks to devour us, to slurp us us, slurp us up, to kill us, to see us destroyed, I thank you, Father, that we are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. I thank you that we are created with a purpose. I thank you we are the head and not the tail. We are above only and never beneath. I thank you we are blessed going in and blessed going out. I thank you that we are the children of God, that we are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of God adopted through the sacrifice of Jesus. I thank you the very thing that the enemy tried to destroy us with is just the beginning of the grace of Jesus so that we can stand on top of it and no longer be slaves to sin and slaves to the enemy but be sons and daughters to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for who you are, Father. And I thank you, Father, you begin to teach us what it is to seek our life and to see where the enemy has been eating our lunch. I pray that we begin to see it And we begin to run back home when we miss it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We love you. 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 Hey, guess what? May 31st is on the way. And you better believe we're going to have just an amazing worship service that day. I don't even know if we're going to get to preach that day. I'm going to go ahead and tell Philip just on the, it's going to be something else. We love you. Be blessed. We will release you. At that time, we love you. We'll come and tell you when to park or when to leave. Love you guys. Have a great day.